Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for in a small student church asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Which came first? Which held precedent? Well, that question kind of well, warped my mind a little bit and caused me to dig deeply into the history of Christianity to, to answer that question. Looking to the history of the Bible, the biblical canon, history of the early church, up through the Reformation and beyond to, to those days to today and what I believed and why I believed it. It was in that journey that I encountered the Catholic Church, and it was in that looking into the Catholic Church as part of that journey that I realized what I thought I knew about Catholicism was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by my good friend, Catholic convert, fellow podcaster and YouTuber, Keith Nestor, to unpack some of the problems we had with Protestant Christianity. We dig deeply, cordially, of course, into some of those things that really pushed us to the doors of the Catholic Church. Issues of interpreting the Bible, understanding what to believe and how to believe, and denominationalism, and issues of authority, and issues of what do we do with the saints if we're Protestant? Where, where do they fit in? Because they say some things that sound and look awfully Catholic. It's a wonderful conversation, and it is part one of a two-part conversation. I'm going to have him back on the show to talk about problems with Catholic theology in the Catholic Church as well, so we burn bridges on both sides and <laughs> make sure we make lots and lots of enemies. But no, in all seriousness, to unpack the, the other side of the coin, now that we became Catholic, what, what, what problems exist there too? Anyway, this is a great conversation. I think you're going to love it. Keith's a great guy to have on the show. Good friend, and we have a wonderful conversation in this episode. This episode and all others of this show are brought to you by our patrons and our one-time sponsors, those who go to paypal.me slash cordialcatholic and those that monthly sponsor us at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. And I have two new people to thank this week. Thank you to Jordan for your monthly support of this show at the highest tier level, I might add. Thank you, Jordan, for underpinning this show and making it possible. And thank you to Matthew as well for your generous one-time donation. Friends, this is not my full-time job. I mentioned that before. And your your financing of this thing makes it possible to pay for the equipment and the hosting and makes it possible for me to do this week after week and not have to get a second job and do that instead. So thank you for your support of this thing. And if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic and see how you can do that. Those links are in the show notes as well. And now, without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation with Keith Nestor on the problems with Protestant Christianity. Please listen and enjoy. Hey, 
Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you are listening on podcast, thank you. Please leave a rating or a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And and you can watch us as well on YouTube at youtube.com slash the cordial catholic. And if you are watching, thank you. We're obviously on podcast. And please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so you get notified when new videos like this one come out. This week, we're going to have a fantastic conversation. I am uh, I, I have lots of fun guests on this show. don't often get to just chill and chat with a friend, which is going to be a lot of fun this week to do just that. I'm joined by my good friend, Keith Nestor. He is the author of The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church, which is a fantastic book. He is the host of the Catholic Feedback Podcast and the popular YouTube channel. You've I'm sure I've seen him before. He's a Catholic convert. He spent over 20 years in full-time ministry of different sorts before his conversion. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he is, I don't think even his super fans know this, but the original lead singer for Dashboard Confessional. True story. <laughs> uh, Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, man, I'm so happy to be here. I feel like grabbing my guitar and start, you know, Singing some emo. Yeah, man. I mean, your, your hair is everywhere. So, I mean, I just, you know, I'm, I'm glad you take time for us down here. On, on The real on the band ground. I was in that was better was Further Seems Forever, though. Yeah. That was, oh, they you were, know. They were good. Yeah. That one album I did with them was yeah. awesome. That was the best one. You know what? That was the best album. Yeah, it really was. So, thanks for gracing us with your presence. I mean, coming no problem, way down man. from, I don't know, Hollywood, wherever you guys live and, and rock out there with, with the band. Thanks for uh, Thanks for coming down. It's, uh, I just rolled in off my <laughs> private island. Yeah. yeah. So, no, yeah. thank you. Happy to, happy to be here, yeah. Mr. Little. I, I appreciate that a lot, uh, uh, Keith Nestor. Um, okay, so I want to, uh, before we dig into our topic, which will be fun, so we're talking this week about kind of problems with Protestant Christianity, uh, because we're both converts. I want to dig in there, and I want to begin by, by you kind of unpacking a bit of your conversion story. I, I was looking this up, and it's kind of funny how long ago you first came on this show, Keith. Um, I told the story before when I had you on then, but I kind of, you know, YouTube kind of popped you into my, my feed. This The video you did, like, I mean, years and years ago, right, of your first, telling your first conversion story, I found you through that, which was kind of blowing up at the time on the internet. We haven't really unpacked your conversion story in detail since like two, two and something years ago, maybe almost three years ago, when we first chatted. So I want you to tell a bit of your conversion story at the beginning, uh, and then I want to unpack some of these problems of Protestant Christianity. But I want to right now commit to having you back on the show at some point for a part two, where we dig into problems with with the Catholic Church as well. So we're Ooh. fair and not just, not just, not just big enough, you know, not just dunking on the Protestants, but no, both you and I have, and your, your book in part talks about this, right? Some of the things you encounter once you convert that you're like, oh, this is different than I kind of expected or, you know, things just to navigate at that point. So I do want to come to having you back to talk about that. You know, I accept. <laughs> thank you. So just so we're fair to both sides of this, uh, of, of this, discussion we will do a part two where we just dunk on on our our newfound home in the catholic church yeah those <laughs> jerks no i'll be happy to do that um yeah i mean because here's the reality and and i talked to a lot of people who become catholic they come into the church and they have these these bright eyes and these expectations and this fantasy world almost yeah. sometimes that all of the problems that they had in protestantism 
are now solved and now everything is going to be like, you know, Catholic paradise. <laughs> and then it doesn't take long before they realize, wait a minute, they have people over here too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, one of the very first articles that I wrote in my blog that I began, I began before I was even Catholic, just kind of blogging my conversion story and then I became Catholic. And, but one of the first articles that got a little bit of minor fame and actually got me my first interview on a TV show, Catholic TV, <clears throat> uh, was an article called What Sucks About the Catholic Church. That that raised quite a few eyebrows and, and made me my first little spot of like people reading it and recognizing it. And it was kind of embarrassing because it was really like a laundry list of now that I'm Catholic, all these things just stink about being Catholic. Like what's wrong? And it, it was meant to encourage myself and other Catholics to to do better, but but my claim to fame is this terrible article about things I hated about being Catholic when I asked for I first converted. So yeah, you're right. There's <laughs> There's stuff to dig well, into. I made a video recently um, that was talking. It's I called it three verses that destroy Catholicism. Okay, and of course I was tongue in cheek because I don't think any verses destroy Catholicism. I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, but you know we all we often get handed these verses, the same ones usually over and over, that are meant to, you know, destroy our faith or whatever. So that's what I titled the video. So the thumbnail just literally says three verses that destroy Catholicism. And of course the video blew up you know, on my channel. You know, I got like 40,000 views or whatever, which is a lot for my channel. And there was, it was kind of funny because there were so many people who didn't even watch the video, didn't know anything about my story or anything that I was going to say. They just, they were Catholics. They were just like, what are you talking about? There's no verses that destroy Catholicism. You uh, pagan, blah, 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 you know, and I'm just like, dudes, watch the video, you know? So I had to actually literally go back and, and put, quotes around the word destroy because so many Catholics would not watch the video, but just wanted to flame me in the comments. And so you, you gotta be careful with that stuff. That's fantastic. I love that. Okay. Let's, let's dig into your conversion story. Give us maybe like a 10 minute overview. Okay. And if listeners want to hear the full thing, I mean, they can go to your channel and we can, I'll, I'll link to that for sure. Or they can go back and embarrassingly far back in the archives and hear I think both of us, much less polished, to hear your full conversion story. I think you're talking on like, I don't know, like it certainly wasn't a professional microphone and I don't think I was either back then. I don't even know. I probably, I I don't know. It was a couple of Tim Cans. I mean, the truth is it really hasn't been that long. I've only been Catholic for five years. Yeah, yeah. You know, but basically the bottom line is this. I'll try to keep this... Relatively short, you know, my full conversion video is on my YouTube channel. You know, you can find it and and you can look at it. But the, the long and short of it is this. I spent 22 years in full-time Protestant ministry in one form or another. I was a youth pastor for a long time, a senior pastor, worship leader, a lot of different things. And I grew up not knowing anything about the Catholic faith. My dad's a pastor. So what I learned about Catholicism, of course, wasn't from other Catholics. It was from people who were telling me about the Catholic church or, or I would look at Catholic things and go, what's this about? And, you know, I, I didn't really have the desire to really learn the truth, you know, to dig in deep. I just, you know, you take it at face value and you go, okay, these people do some weird stuff. And, you know, I would learn about different types of theology and school and different types of people, but the Catholic church was always sort of like in this other category. Um, so I didn't really have much connection to that. So I entered into ministry when I was about 20 years old, almost 21. And um, I was in music before. I'm not really the lead singer of Dashboard Confessional, but but uh, I wasn't. I, I did do music for a long time in my life. And and um, so that was a real important thing to me. And the Lord sort of called me out of that to go into ministry. And 
when I was growing this little youth ministry, I started off in youth ministry and our, our youth group started to grow and I needed a logo for my youth ministry. And I, I ended up meeting this guy who's a graphic designer, who's a very strong Catholic. And when I met him, he started asking me questions about my youth ministry. And my first thought honestly was, oh, well, this guy's pretty cool. He's Catholic. And the reason why I knew he was Catholic is I went over to his house and he had statues and stuff everywhere and a little bowl of water by the front door and pictures of religious people and Catholic looking dudes everywhere. And he was wearing like khaki pants and a, and a denim shirt. And I'm like, okay, this guy can't be an evangelical, you know? Um, although when I became evangelical free, that was the standard uniform for pastors was khaki pants, denim shirt. Uh, but anyway, I asked him this question. I said, dude, you sound like you're on fire for Jesus. And he's like, yeah, I am. And I said, well, what's with all this Catholic stuff? And that led to this friendship that was built upon the idea of I'm going to convert him to become Protestant and he's going to convert me to become Catholic. He's the first Catholic person I ever met who knew his faith and could talk about it. And that just fascinated me. So we had a lot of conversations over the years, you know, he introduced me to, you know, Scott Hahn's conversion story and um, a lot of apologetic material. At the time that I was talking with him, I was in, college and seminary, you know, studying the church and the faith. So I would take some of these questions that he would give me and I would go and I would ask them to my seminary professors. And I'd say, Hey, what do we think about Matthew 16, 18, you know, where Jesus says upon this rock, I will build the church and the gates of hell. Will not, I will build my church, you know, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How do we, how do we answer that to these Catholics? Cause I got this Catholic guy, he's trying to convert me. And I was shocked at the lack of help that they were, Yeah, you know, they didn't really have good answers for me. And that sort of stuck with me. Um, so as I began to learn more and more about the Catholic faith, it really began to, I began to experience this situation where I felt like one by one, these things that I thought were easy objections began to just be knocked down. And if not completely solved, like mostly solved. And then I got invited to go on a pilgrimage over to Rome and Mejigoria. I went over there with, with a couple, my, my friend, and then a couple other, a bunch of Catholic people invited me on this trip. And I went over there and I experienced Catholics in community, in worship, you know, that, and that really blew me away because when I was thinking about Catholicism, the, the, the mindset that I had in my experience that I had, cause I did go to mass a few times with my buddy and just kind of check it out was I felt like Catholicism was defined by this rigidity and this stuffiness and really no excitement or no personal relationship with Jesus, just this stale liturgical worship that had no room for the Holy spirit. And when I, when I saw and was part of this group of people that were worshiping, I saw the complete opposite. I saw people who were on fire for Jesus and who were worshiping, who loved to pray and loved to um, talk about their faith. And it was very real to them. And it was like, this is another level, you know, it was, I, I was, I was blown away by it. And I had an experience where when I got home from that, I had kind of my own personal light bulb moment that went off with the Lord where I felt like he was calling me to become Catholic. He was at a church camp um, communion service. And my, one of my buddies who's a pastor was leading the kids in like, you know, the communion service, which is very loosey goosey. It can be whatever you want it to be. You know, there's no liturgy. And when it came to the part where he was ready to, you know, and I'm just using this as a comparison, but ready to consecrate the elements, which they don't, of course, that's not believed in the Protestant church, but that, that part of the service where Jesus took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples, that part. I just felt like this lightning bolt hit me. It was just like the Lord saying, Keith, you know what I, that I'm in the Eucharist, you know, in the Catholic church. And I ran out of that room and I was like ready to convert. You know, I remember calling my buddy 
saying, I think God wants me to become Catholic. And, and I felt like that call in my heart, you know, it wasn't about objections anymore. It was about now I'm experiencing this calling and no joke. I'm, I'm talking to him on my phone outside. I'm ready to become Catholic. I had told nobody about any of this idea that I'd had about it. You know, it was just kind of like, Oh no, I'm, I'm fine. From, from the front of that lodge area back to the walk up in, I walked in and, and the devil was already in my ear at that point in time. And I walked back in and I saw my wife with our three little kids, one of them in a stroller. I saw this room full of, you know, 200 teenagers. And I was like their spiritual leader. You know, this was my career. This was my life. This was my job. And it was almost like, like this voice in my head just said, are you really going to leave all this? You know, what are you, are you going to blow up your whole life? Are you going to quit your job and have nothing? Are you going to leave all of this? this ministry that had grown from 12 kids to like 300 kids every week, you know? And I was just kind of like, no, I can't do that. This has just got to be some weird thing that's happening. It's got to be, you know, gas or something. (laughs) So I pushed that out of my mind and never looked back. Well, that went badly for me in my life. You know, I went through a really dark period after that, that lasted, you know, a few years. And I actually took a break from ministry in churches for, you know, a couple of years. Um, And, you know, after working through some things in my own life, I re-entered ministry and my, my kind of second wave around, I, I was serving in different roles and, you know, senior pastor of a different kind of church, this associate pastor over here. And then I, I wound back up in the denomination I started with in, which was the United Methodist church as a kind of an associate of youth and mission or whatever you want to call me in this large Methodist church. And the church itself was great. The local church was awesome. But our denomination started going through all of this conflict. And, you know, the Methodist church right now is, of course, it's about to split into two or three different groups because it's like a lot of mainline Protestant denominations wrestling with a lot of issues in the culture around like human sexuality and marriage, things like that. And this this question of who gets to decide what the truth of the Christian faith is was at the forefront. And when I'm in the middle of this, having these conversations, trying to argue my own position within that conflict, I had a lot of interesting conversations with people about things like the authority of the church. Can the church be wrong? What is the church? What do we know about the Bible? What is the real authority? And and these conversations ultimately led me back into all that stuff I'd put aside years ago about the Catholic faith. And it was a whole different deal at that point in time. You know, I I felt like, okay, I've already worked through the objections for the most part. Now I just have to work through, does God want me to do this? And then what is it going to look like? And long story short, through a lot of crazy experiences, I wound up having a, a moment, not unlike the first one where it wasn't about objection and doctrine and, and church fathers and all of that. I was face to face with Jesus Christ in, in the Eucharist one night at a mass before a Catholic um, apologist was going to give a talk. And I nail, I, I kneeled down after I received my blessing in the mass and I looked at the crucifix and I remember just saying, God, if you want me to become Catholic, if this is really what you want, I will do it. But you've got to figure all this other stuff out. You've got to make a way because I don't know what to do. And it was like a clear moment of my life of hearing the voice of God. And the Lord just said to me from the, and people are receiving the Eucharist. I'm, I'm, I just hit the, you know, like the trads, we receive the Eucharist on our knees, right? I, I got my blessing and then it was on my knees. I was a trad Protestant, right? <laughs> and I look and I'm, so I'm 
praying. It was like, Lord, make a way. And, and it was like from the cross, Jesus said to me, I am the way, the truth and the life. You don't need me to make a way. You just need me. And it was like in that moment, Keith, I understood that Jesus was there in the Catholic church in the Eucharist. And what was telling, he was telling me, look, all of the things that you're afraid of, all of the things that, that you're going to lose, that it would cost you to become Catholic. None of that is important, is as important as just having me. So stop making it about things that don't matter ultimately. And trust me. And that night we were driving home, me and my friend were driving home. And I told him, I said, that's it. I got to do this. I'm, I'm going to become Catholic. I went home and I told my wife and she said, she said, you know, and hers is a whole nother story. Her, her conversion stories on my channel too. And, and that's blessed more people than mine has, you know, in a lot of ways, but, um, cause she's a revert. She left the church when she met me, I pulled her out of the Catholic church. And now I hear I am coming home. I say, Hey, I think we need to become Catholic. And she just said to me, she goes, well, I'm not feeling called to become Catholic. So I don't know what that's going to look like for me, but she said, I'm so proud of you and it's going to be okay. Because she knew that I was really searching for Jesus. And then she had her own wrestling match with God about what that would look like for her. But for me, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I went in the next day and basically told my, my senior pastor, I'm, I'm going to resign and become a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, that was a very interesting conversation. I mean, our, our church was building a brand new $10 million facility in our town. My last Sunday was the day we put shovels in the ground as a groundbreaking ceremony. So it was like a, a celebration of this new phase of our, of our church that we'd worked for, for 10 plus years and raising all this money and Oh, bye Pastor Keith. <laughs> you know, so that was kind of my last day. And then I came into the church October 8th of this was 2017. And, uh, man, I haven't looked back since I've been, I've been so blessed. So on fire for the faith. And, and I feel like every day I'm more and more thankful for where I am. And I'm more and more sure that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and, you know, people will say, Oh, don't you have regrets? You know, you ever have moments where you want to go back to, not for one second. Like my worst day as a Catholic is better than my best day ever was as a Protestant. And I, and I don't have like, I'm not a guy with an ax to grind on Protestantism. I'm not like, oh, Protestants are evil. You know, that's not where I'm coming from. I'm just saying that, like, for me, the joy in Christ that I've experienced in the Catholic faith, it's on another level, man. It's not even just a, like a slightly better version of the same thing. It's a different universe where it's like you go from everything's sort of blurry to now everything's HD. That's kind of what it feels like. It feels like the lights have gone on in my faith. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I was kind of stumbling around in some of that stuff. And I sort of felt like I understood that. But when I became Catholic, it was like someone turned the light on. I was like, oh, now I can see. And it's been awesome. Well, that's a fantastic way to describe that, Keith. I think that's fantastic. I I love that because that's true. I feel the same thing. Like I, I remember, you know, when I converted, I had friends and people who kind of knew me a little bit who said that you said, "Oh yeah, you know, you're you're on fire now, but that's gonna that's gonna wear off. Like that conversion experience will, th- those edges will soften, and you'll kind of you'll mellow out a bit as as a convert. Like it's exciting now, but you know, you'll get into the monotony of being Catholic and realize that it's just what it is, and that hasn't happened in six, seven years. That's, that hasn't happened. Right? Amen, I've bro. only, I've only day after day. And this is also what actually what Scott Hallman, I had on my, on my show said the same thing. He said, people said to him, Oh, you'll kind of mellow out. And he said, look, it's like 25 years now. He's been, I think he's been Catholic longer than he was ever was Protestant. Is what he told me. Wow. And he said, it's, 
every day it's it's better and you're right like there'll be there'll be rough days right as a human being and as a person of faith like god brings those those difficult days for reasons like you know we we, we suffer and go through things for for purposes right to build our faith up it's not all roses every single day as a catholic but you're right it's that other other plane of existence like that's a great way of putting it because that's honestly what i have experienced too right you you, you're down here in your protestant christian life and we're i don't know I, I totally agree with you. It's like it's it's way up here, as a Catholic. It's it's an elevated experience from what I've and it's not it's not dulled or gotten boring a, along the way. Right, it's only increased day after day in in my experience. I, I feel like I'm just at the very scratching the surface of it. To be honest with you, I mean, there's so many things about yeah the Catholic faith that I don't know about. There's so many things I'm discovering all the time. And it's, it's awesome. It's like a, it's like a great adventure. I tell people that I'm like, you, if you become Catholic, you are going on the adventure of a lifetime. And it is amazing, which is so funny because so many cradle Catholics that are, you know, sort of nominal or lukewarm in their faith. They're like, what What are you talking about? This is boring. You know? And I'm just like, dude, you don't understand. And I came from like rock and roll youth ministry, man. We were blowing <laughs> stuff up, giving away cars. We had pyrotechnics going off in the church. I mean, we were, we had paintball guns and food fights and we had, I mean, we made church fun, dude. It was yeah, fun. That, that but, fun. you know, I'm telling you, there's something more than yeah, those, yeah. those pursuits of excitement in the worldly sense. When it comes to our faith, it's like, a, it's, it's, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like I'm eating, like I got to fulfill a bucket list um, item not too long ago. I was in Las Vegas and I got to go to uh, Hell's Kitchen, Gordon Ramsay, right? Which I, I'm a big Gordon Ramsay fan. I love watching MasterChef and Hell's Kitchen, all those, you know, all that cooking stuff, right? And I got to eat at Hell's Kitchen. I got to have the meal that I've always said for years. If I ever got a chance to go there, I would eat the beef Wellington, right? I ate the beef Wellington. It was on my bucket list, okay? And it was amazing way expensive dinner, but I didn't even care. I was like, I'm here. We're doing this. And that's what to me, it feels like to be Catholic. Like it feels like the best thing, the best, ver- whatever thing you can think of, whether it's food, wine, whatever you can think of, think of the best version of that in the world. Okay. That's what the Catholic church is when it comes to Christianity. Okay. It's the best version of it because it's the fullness of it. Right. So that's, that's the way I describe it, which is my experience. But at the same time, it's funny how many people leave the Catholic church because they feel like, Oh, I didn't get anything out of it. And I just look at, and they, they become whatever else because they go, well, I never got, I never heard the gospel. I never got anything out of it. And that to me is so baffling. I just look at that and I'm like, what in the world? How? You know, don't you understand what is going on here? And the answer, unfortunately, a lot of times is no, I really didn't. Yeah, it was crazy because I'm, I'm, I'm the same, you know, the same boat as you. Like it's this elevated experience uh, as a Catholic, yeah. better than I ever could have imagined, right? The, the, the solutions to problems that I had in my faith, well, I think we'll unpack some of these things, like the experience of my faith on a day-to-day basis in the liturgy, right? And, and the liturgical seasons of the church and the sacraments, like these things are all all elevated to a different plane. It's, it's amazing. And I guess, I, I guess our work is to make sure that there aren't people leaving the Catholic church for those bad reasons. Right. Like, yeah. like a, you know, I, I feel certainly in my work called to 
reach and teach those people to go, okay, you want to leave? Well, here's what you're leaving. Like, here are the, I always say, I think, I think my, my friend John DeRosa hosts the Classical Theism podcast. I think this comes from him, but that, you know, there are answers to all the questions that you have as a Catholic or about the Catholic Church. The Church has answers, right? It might require you going looking for them, but it, there are answers to all those questions you have that might cause you to want to question or, or lead the church. But there are really good answers, and you could you could read them and disagree, but there are really good, robust answers to every question you could possibly have about the Catholic Church, and, and they're out there. You could find them. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, that's one of the issues that you can run into in, in Protestant Christianity is the lack of answers, because... Yeah. You know, a lot of times people, they may have their own answer, but they don't have a reason why their answer is right and why it's any better than anybody else's answer, because they will tell you themselves that, well, I have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. So that's how I know what the Christian faith is, right? I have the scripture and I have the Holy Spirit to tell me, well, when you have 50 other people that have the same Bible you know, and I would hope the same Holy Spirit, but have different conclusions. There's no answer to why this version is any better than the other versions. And that to me, that's really sad because where that ultimately leads you to is a place where you don't have an assurance that your faith is the, is the genuine article. You don't have that assurance because someone can always poke a hole in it and say, well, I think you're wrong and here's why. And here's my reasoning. And it has to be as valid as theirs because there's nothing beyond it to qualify it. You know, in Catholicism, you have this understanding of the authority of the church and the historical connection to the apostles that in theory qualifies that position as the default position of Christianity or the accurate position of Christianity. In, in Protestantism, you don't have that. You, you really only have somebody's interpretation and opinion about what a text says, but you can't even really authoritatively define why that text matters. You know, so there's a lot of these things that you look at, but it's, it's amazing how when you're in the middle of it, you can't see that. Yeah. So if we're talking about problems with Protestant Christianity, is that like your number one for you that you, that you mm. encountered? I mean, well, I, I think ultimately, yeah, I think ultimately... The, 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 the problem, and this is the, you know, I'm just speaking for me personally, like the practical yeah. thing that really started me to re-engage in my ideas of Catholicism was this idea of how do we know what the Christian faith teaches? How can we define that? Because we were had, that's what was going on in my, in my denomination and is, is there was an argument about what the Christian faith really means and what it teaches. And the idea was that nobody really has the corner on that truth. So we can all just do whatever we think is best. And to me, that was like, no, that is not what I read in the gospels. That's not what I see in history. That's not what I read in the new Testament. There isn't this wishy-washy sort of subjective relative version of Christianity that is unique to each of the different apostles and how they went out. They were united. And so when you start off with this understanding that, look, nobody can really know. And it's funny because I still talk to Protestant friends. I have tons of friends. I probably have more Protestant friends than I do have Catholic friends. And when you talk to people in that world, 
a lot of them. And I listened to a guy on yesterday on the way home, a video about a guy who was talking about a version of Protestantism. And he, and he started off by saying, look, we just have to understand that all of us are wrong about something. So we can't judge one another because we don't really know who's got this right. And of course, then he proceeds to talk about why his version is the right version. <laughs> but I thought to myself, I'm like, at least this guy's being honest. He's admitting that we have no real assurance that our version of what theology is supposed to be or Christianity is supposed to be is the correct version. So we have to not judge one another. And I, and I remember feeling like, okay, that's a shame. And I don't, and I, and I, and I, just, I was listening to that and you know, whatever. I just thought to myself, I don't have that problem. You know, I don't have that problem. Why? Because I'm Catholic because I'm in the church that was founded by Jesus Christ that has the authority given by Christ through the power of the Holy spirit to guide the church into all truth. Like that's the church I'm in. So I don't have that problem anymore. I have other problems, but I don't have that one anymore. If I want to know what Christianity teaches, I can look at the catechism of the Catholic church. I can ask myself, what does the church tell me it teaches? Because that's who has the fullness of the faith. Now, of course, people go, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Okay, well, then if the Catholic Church doesn't have it, then who does, right? Because they're saying they don't. So, okay, so if, if it isn't the Roman Catholic Church, is it the Orthodox Church? Is it the whatever church, this or that? Because I want to go join whichever church has it. But I only know, like, it was funny. I was having a conversation with somebody just the other day who's a Protestant, good friend of mine. And he was saying, yeah, but Keith, Nobody says that they have that. And I said, dude, you're wrong. The Catholics do. <laughs> and he goes, really? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, nobody else says that. It's us, man. You know, and, and he, when, when, his, when I was saying that to him, it was like his eyes lit up. He was like, you're really serious, aren't you? <laughs> you know, so for me, that, that's the number one, man, is not having a sense of assurance that what I believe about Christianity is actually the, the real version of Christianity. Yeah. I think, I think two things here. I think, first of all, that from the outside perspective makes people take Christianity less seriously when they see that we can't agree on these certain things. And when you actually dig into the minutiae and realize, well, there's no way for us to agree if we're just interpreting the Bible different ways. Like that as a witness to people who are outside of Christianity is kind of crappy as, as a witness. But I think too, like for me, that also was a catalyst, the, the same kind of topic. I was, I was at a non-denominational church. We had no real affiliation with the denomination to kind of fall back into what we believed on things like gender and sexuality. And so we were, as a church, wrestling with this issue and just kind of looking at these same Bible verses as every other church looked at and trying to figure out how we understand them. And I think kind of what you're saying with this thing you listened to about the idea that we really can't know, that that was actually eventually the decision of the senior pastor and the leadership team kind of said, look, these Bibles, these verses in the Bible are debated and we don't know which which solution is the right one. But looking at tradition, looking at the history of Christianity, the church has said, here's what we believe about marriage and sexuality. So their solution kind of was, I mean, I think the most honest one that this Protestant church could have made in that, you know, we can disagree about the about the, the verses. Here's what history says. You know, based on that, we kind of say, we don't really know, but we think maybe marriage is a man and a woman, and this is what we believe about sexuality. It was a really honest kind of solution. They kind of said, we don't really know, but here's what everyone's always believed 
right? And I, and I respect the, the the pastor for that decision because I feel like that was as a as similar to the you know this idea of that we can't really know what what the answer is. I think admitting that is the position you have to kind of be in as a Protestant because there are so many ways of of disagreeing and interpreting the same passages the same way. You, you kind of got to go. Well, we don't really know, and then that of course begins the problem. Well. Didn't Jesus intend there to be one answer? Like we're not Unitarians; there's not multiple answers. There is an answer to what Christ meant to teach, right? And then that begins this unraveling, as it did for you. It, it did for me too, right? Where I go, well, who who does know the answer to this? Who can say definitively what the answer is to this question? And and how do they how do they do that? And I, of course, found the Catholic Church and this idea of the magisterium, where the Church can say, look, based on our linked to the apostles, the Christ giving them that authority to teach definitively and to, 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 to bind and loose. That's how the church can say, this is what we believe and, and, and believe that comes right from that authority from Christ, right? That's, again, that's the elevated plane of things, right? That's the, that's, we're not having to, and I know for me, this is a huge unburdening. I'm not having to struggle to know and be assured that I'm interpreting things properly. I can believe that I'm in a church that has the ability to do that. Right. Yeah. And that's, see, that's huge because, yeah. and, and what's funny about this is that, that that's kind of the most important thing, right? <laughs> that's the most important thing is that we know what the heck we're talking about when we talk about Christianity. And when I say we, I mean, everybody everywhere who says they believe in Jesus. Okay. We ought to know what that is. If we're going to give our lives for this, if we're going to trust God with our eternity, if we're going to going to dedicate everything we have to following Jesus Christ without a certainty of what it even means. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean vast variances and differences. If we can't if there's no way to get to the answer to know what is this Christianity thing, that's a pretty scary thing. That's a pretty scary thing. And yet what I, what I came to recognize was that was what I was living in. And I don't think that's what God had in mind. I really don't, you know, and people come up with all these cute ways to get around. Oh, well, we have unity in the essentials and liberty in the non-essentials. Well, okay. Find that in the Bible for me. You know, (laughs) that's not in there. And furthermore, who gets to decide what an essential is, you know, one of the leading Methodist pastors is a guy named Adam Hamilton who wrote a book about that. And he describes this process where there are these three buckets and the buckets, you put different scriptures in the buckets. And there's the bucket that says this scripture is for all time, all people in all places. This scripture is for all people in all places, but only for some of the time. And this bucket over here is just for these group, this group of people in this, in this particular time, in this particular place. So he puts his different verses in each different bucket to say, oh, well, you know, when it talks about women aren't allowed to speak in church, that was for those people in that time. So we don't have to follow that. When it talks about marriage between a man and woman, that goes in this other bucket over here. But when it talks about Jesus Christ is the son of God, that's in the other bucket of, of for all time and all places. And even when I was a Protestant, I thought that I was like, well, who, how do you decide which buckets go in which buckets or which verses go in which bucket? Who, who's making that call? And nobody's like, it's, it's almost like, you know, the emperor has no clothes on. We're all standing around going, Hey, there's this glaring discrepancy in our theology here. 
and nobody's willing to talk about it. You know, everybody just wants to say, well, I'm sure we're all wrong about something. Well, what if what you're wrong about is like the most important thing? Yeah. 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 I remember I had Doug Beaumont on the show who of course is, I mean, he's been the show a number of times. He's a famous convert. He was at seminary with Norm Geisler, a very famous evangelical Protestant who wrote books on the essentials. And Doug always said to me, you know, what was funny is if you trace out Norm Geisler's list of the essentials that evangelicals must agree on, they changed. You know, the essentials changed in his like 20 year career of writing. Yeah, they, how, can they, they how can that happen? Like, how can the essentials change? Which again shows you who's picking those buckets, like who's picking the essentials, right? And that becomes a problem, especially when there, there are major things that we call essential that we don't agree on, right? What is salvation being one of those major things? Can you lose salvation? Right? Those are, yeah. that's kind of like, is that not essential for crying out loud? It's pretty essential, but there's disagreement on that. And that's really fundamental, right? If I'm on my deathbed, I want to know if I've lost my salvation that I, you know, that yeah. I gained when I could, when I said that prayer when I was 13. Like, these are, you know, and fell away in the meantime. These are, these are pressing things, right? I mean, essentials, but those lists change. Those people are picking those buckets. I, I, you know, I, I have books on my bookshelf that, that deal with the idea of theological retrieval. So retrieving these ancient parts of theology from the early church, right? So I think a valuable thing that Protestants are doing, like looking back into the early church and trying to find the good parts to pull out and put into practice, right? I know these churches that are doing kind of Eucharistic type services and these kinds of things that look like early liturgies that, that we still in the Catholic yeah. Church use. But again, you go, okay, well, who's picking what to retrieve? Like, who's picking which of those things that the early church did are worthy of practicing today? Again, you're making yourself that arbiter in those situations, right? You're picking the essentials. You're picking what to retrieve. And it just, right? It's like you say, you're, once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? Once you see the naked yeah. emperor there like with no clothes on, this big pressing question, you can't unsee that because it's just us. Me and you choosing what to believe in the end, right? Well, yeah, it's, and I've had—I mean, I've had these conversations a hundred times, and people are like, you know, I'll ask them, "How do you know that your version is the true version? How do you know that you're?" Because they'll, you know, invariably when I'm talking with a Protestant friend of mine who, you know, or you know, whatever, or somebody in YouTube that wants to argue with me and share with me some verse <laughs> I've never heard in my life about how you're not supposed to call a priest father or whatever, you know, <laughs> they're, they're always one. like. They'll, they'll, they'll throw a verse at me and I'll throw a verse back at them. And then they'll say, well, you're not interpreting that verse correctly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, how do you know that? Well, because I have the Holy Spirit. And I'm just like, oh, well, okay. Well, I have the Holy Spirit. No, you don't. Oh, okay. I mean, but okay. So you have that issue where ultimately you wind up in the same place every time, which is, well, this is just what I think it means. And again, I just kind of look at that and go, well, what if you're wrong? And what if, what if that's not what it means? How are, you got to do better than that? You got to do better than that because God did better than that. And if you don't believe that God left us a way to understand what we were supposed to know and I'll go, Oh, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. Okay. Well, if that was all God needed to do, then we wouldn't have, However many denominations, and I don't like to do the 30,000 because people are always like, that's not a real number. I don't care. If, if, if it's more than like two, yeah. then we got an issue here, yeah. okay? Yeah. So if you think it's 5,000, I don't really care, okay? I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to go and count them all, but, but it's a lot. 
And if the, if the, the premise was true that you just need the Bible and the Holy Spirit, then we wouldn't have all these different versions of Christianity. We just wouldn't. So, you know, you brought up the idea of how does this look to the outside? It looks ridiculous. It looks absolutely ridiculous. They're like, oh, well, I, okay, I'm kind of interested in God. Which church should I join? Which, which version? And then, and then what it boils down to then is, well, you get to pick based on what you like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like this kind of music. Then you like this kind of church. I let my friends go here. Okay. You know, so now what's driving you to these experiences isn't, you know, well, I've discovered that this church has the true theology based on my extensive study of the scripture and whatever. They're, they're just like, well, they're, they're brand new. They don't know. So they just kind of fall in the crowd of wherever the most popular church in town is or wherever their friends go. And then that's what they hear and they go, okay, yep, that's what I'm doing. But here's problem number two, okay, which is kind of directly related to this, is a lot of times in, in Protestantism, there's no historical connection to the apostles. Yeah. So what you wind up then is this, this chasm that exists from the time of the apostles in Christ to what we have today. And whatever version of theology you create in your own mind, what you have to believe in that is that everybody before you and, you know, after the apostles who of course agreed with you, everybody before that or after that and before today was a hundred percent wrong All you have figured it out. And that just to me is like kind of an insane way to do that, but it's crazy how many people do that, man. It's crazy how many people think, oh yeah, well we have the Bible, but everybody, everybody else that didn't think the way we think was clearly wrong, you know, and, but we're right. And whatever figure you point them to in history and say, well, hey, well, you know, Martin Luther was a reformer and he, you know, he doesn't, he didn't agree with you on this. Well, he was wrong too. Okay. Well, find, find me the one guy who was right then, you know, before, like before you, if you're the first one, then I'm really skeptical, but yeah. there's that, there's that lack of connection to his, to history that to me is like so suspect, but people never stop and think about that. Keith, they don't ever think because in their minds, like, they're just like, no man, the Holy spirit told me. Yeah. But their, their little world is so small. Like yeah, that's what I mean about the lights are off, man. You know, and when you start reading the church fathers and the history of the church, then they go on You're like, Oh, okay. Or you have to believe all those people were crazy. Yeah, I, I can I can think of one instance in my early conversion experience. I began looking into this historical connection with, with the early church and the apostles, and I found some commentary uh, that used the church fathers and interspersed it, you know, or, or put it next to scripture as a kind of a commentary. And I brought this to my Bible study group that I was part of, this non-denominational Bible study group. We called it a, a scrum, like a weekly scrum. It was just kind of like it, it really, really good, deep kind of digging into the Bible. And I brought this this historical context to our study, and it was like this revelation. It was like, wait, wait, wait you, you, we can, we're not just looking at the scripture and talking about how we feel about it. Suddenly we're looking at a historical connection to how others in, in history read these scriptures. And it was like this we hadn't done it before. It was like a, this revelation of how we can read scripture. Right? And it seems so silly in hindsight that why do we ever think that we could just read this out of context and do church out of context, not thinking about that broader connection and, and context, right? Yeah. I mean, when you recognize that as a Christian, you aren't just this 
isolated, a you know, ball of awareness in and of yourself. You are part of a, you are, you are in a thread that goes all the way back to Jesus and the apostles, right? That's your belief. So you got to look at other parts of the thread. You've got to look at what came for you and, and what was closest to the source. And you can ask yourself, does what, does the version of Christianity that I have come to believe in, is, is that the same one as what Christ handed down to the saints? And it's amazing to me how many people never really even think about that. Yeah. They only think about, well, what does the Bible say? And which again, if every, if every other person besides the Catholics had a uniform position on what the Bible taught and it was all like pretty laid out and there was unity, I think you could, I think you could be like, okay, well maybe the Catholic church isn't right. You know, but the fact that it's so diverse and so splintered and so disunified, it almost by default proves that it can't be, it can't be the, the, the correct position. So then you have to do the, okay, well, if it's not the correct position, then that, that one of them is. Okay, well, good luck figuring that out. You know, good luck with that. Doesn't it make just more sense to go back and, and look at what did the early church teach? What did the apostles teach? What did their successors teach? What did the people who were in that thread of, of the development of the church? Because I don't, you know, of course we believe the church developed, but what did they look like? Yeah. And is it, is it consistent with who we are? Yeah, and I think one of the issues is that there aren't really any, at least in my experience, you know, I went through Pentecostal denominations, some Baptist denominations, and some non-denominational churches, and no one in there was claiming that this is what the church has always believed. Right? They were claiming this is what we believe the Bible teaches here. But no one in those groups said this is what the church has always taught on this topic. That wasn't what anyone was claiming in that, you know, thinking that thread that goes back to the apostles. They were all saying, this is what we believe that the right interpretation is, what, what God intends, but never what the church always taught. Because, of course, you can't, in many parts of the beliefs of those denominations, find those things taught all the way back the entire way. Like you said before, the idea that, right, uh, you know, I believe this, but, but not everyone has always believed this. That, that's kind of a problem, right? If you can't, like that system seems somehow broken if you can say, this is what the Bible teaches, I'm sure of it, but then not find that all the way back through through Christian history, right? That's kind of a a weird claim to make then, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a problem. If what you're, if what you're proposing, okay, if what you're proposing is that the truth of the Christian faith has been handed on to you, then you're, you're making a statement that there is a truth of the Christian faith, yeah. that it's not something that we are creating in and of ourselves. We're discovering it. Okay. And that's a, that's a pretty important thing because there are a lot of people out there that aren't making that claim. You know, there are new age gurus. There are people that are coming up with new philosophies and they're saying, Hey, this is a new idea. I created it. Okay, great. That's not what Christians ever should say. What Christians are saying is this is the faith in a man that lived 2000 years ago based on writings that we have that are 2000 years old that have been passed on to us. So the, the, the claim should never have anything to do with this is a new thing I've just discovered for the first time. Okay. And yet, and every, I think everybody would agree on that, but the problem has is a lot of people act like that. They act like they've discovered something that nobody else 
has, and they're right. And here's why I'm right. And why everybody else is wrong. Or only the few people that think like me over here, are right. And everybody else is wrong. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about, well, I have the Holy spirit or I have this, or I have that. These guys have it figured out. And I kind of look at that and I just go, okay, that is a real hard case to make that you alone and the very, very small group of people that believe just like you are the only ones that are correct about this. And what people who are closest to the source who were there and taught by those that were there believe they're wrong. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That is a, that's a tough sell. And then of course, from the outside looking in, how do you sell that? Right. Even if there are, like you said, even if if there aren't thousands of denominations, even a handful is a problem. If, if this is the system that, that Christ established for us to understand what to believe and we can't, you know, we can't agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only way I could, I could get around that, I guess would be to say if they all had the same theology and doctrine, but they just were, divided based on things that were truly not related to any of that. Kind of like, you know, like you said, Oh, well, geographical, kind of like the Orthodox, you know, you've got these geographical distinctives within Orthodoxy that are related to, well, this country over here, that country over there, but theologically we're at least in theory anyway, all supposed to be on the same page. I don't know how true that is by the way, but that's not what you see in Protestantism. Yeah. You see people with fundamental difference. I mean, I'll give you a good example. When I so when I worked in the Evangelical Free Church, I was a pastor in that denomination for a couple of years, and I remember asking one of the denominational higher ups. I'm like, "What is what does the Evangelical Free Church teach about baptism?" Because I need to know if I'm supposed to baptize babies. Because at the time, I did not believe in infant baptism. Okay, and I was like, "I'm not doing any infant baptisms." So is that against our doctrine? And their official doctrinal position was this. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. So here's where they, here's where they came down. It was very diplomatic. They came down with, but when I think about it now, I think it's hilarious. If you as a pastor come to the conclusion that infant baptism is okay, then you are permitted to do infant baptisms. If you as a pastor are come to the, the theological conviction that it's wrong then you don't have to do an infant baptism, but you should bring in another pastor who will baptize that baby for the family. And I'm like, okay, so as a pastor, if I have a strong belief that infant baptism is unbiblical and not accurate and a false theological understanding, I don't have to do it. But as a pastor, I have to step out of the way, allow another pastor to come in and do something that in my view is unbiblical and wrong. And that's the plan. That's the plan. And even back then I was just kind of like, okay, that's the best we can do here. (laughs) So I don't know. I kind of feel like there's a lot of situations like that ultimately where we just sort of throw up our hands and go, Hey, we don't know. Now that isn't to say that in Catholicism, there aren't things that we go, you know, we don't really know, Yeah. but here's the thing. We make the claim that nobody knows. We don't like, for example, okay. In Catholicism, People, people make a big deal out of that. Well, who is in hell? Okay, do we know that anybody specifically has said that they're in hell? And the Catholic Church says, we don't make that definitive statement that we know that this person or that person is in hell. Now, they're not saying that there isn't an answer to that question, but they're saying that we don't know what it is. But they're also saying that nobody knows what yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, and I think that's a different scenario than just to say, well, we don't know. But somebody has the right opinion out there. It's just not us. 
So there are times when the church is going to say, well, that hasn't been revealed by God. But that's that that's a pretty big statement. What that means then is, well, then nobody, nobody can see that they know definitively about something like that, right? So, but that's different than what, what is said often in Protestantism, which is, well, somebody might be right here, but we don't know who it really is ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very different claim, right? Yeah. And, and, and a problem, <laughs> I think, right? I know, sure. I, 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 again, on baptism, I had Doug Beaumont on the show for a, a fantastic conversation because for, for him, again, like this, you know, he did his PhD at an evangelical seminary studying these really hard questions and coming up with these kind of confusing answers. And one of the, one of the, those things was baptism, right? Infant baptism. And I remember him saying on this, on this conversation that I had with him that he got to a point where he's comparing verse by verse and he had to come to the conclusion that he could not use the Bible alone to rule either way on infant baptism because too many yeah. verses spoke one way and there was a balance of verses the other way. And he was like, well, there's no clear verse versus verse. <laughs> there was no answer. And he said, the only true thing to do is to look at history, like how these verses were interpreted from the beginning of the church. And he said at that point it became clear because it, you look in history and infant baptism was believed since the beginning, since the early church and, and onwards in Catholicism up, up to the present day. So he said that for him was a major turning point, realizing that. Well, and there's you know, a lot of issues like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. There's a, there's a huge debate over a lot of issues, you know, predestination. Can you lose your salvation? Things like that. Are you saved by, are you saved by grace or are you saved by, by grace and doing stuff? I mean, there are, you know, which day of the week should you worship the Lord on? What can you eat? What can men versus women do? What is marriage? Is divorce permitted? I mean, we could just go down the line. What's the Lord's Supper supposed to look like? Is there going to be a rapture? There's a, there's a ton of these things that you could argue both sides. I mean, you could say, well, we have the scriptures that seem to talk this way and seem to talk this way. Okay, well, the minute that you have any any of that, now you have to deal with, with this problem. And in, like I said before in the beginning of this, in, in Protestantism, there's really ultimately no way to solve it. Yeah. Any other problems you encountered in your experience looking into or, or, or you wrestled with and you found to be a catalyst? Well, yeah, here's an interesting <laughs> one. Okay, here's an interesting one. And I didn't really go through this one, but I've thought about it a lot. Without the Catholic Church, there's no way to apply church discipline. Okay. Think about that. You know, church discipline is a thing that there are some Protestant churches that love church discipline. Okay. That love to, to call each other out and apply that church discipline. They love it. But the problem is that person then can just go, well, whatever, I'll go down the next church. And, you know, they might call the other pastor and say, Hey, by the way, this guy showed up and he did X, Y, Z. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Because if I don't go to your church, like church discipline is reduced to this individualistic, congregationally specific situation where all you have to do is just leave the church and go to a different denomination or a different church and you're free from all that. Which I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. He talked about if you have a problem with your brother um, that's not solved between the two of you and a couple witnesses, take it to the church. Yeah, yeah. And if you won't listen to the church, then let it be to you as a tax collector. When you try to apply that in a local church only setting, it becomes really, really weird. Okay. And it becomes 
super cringy because what you end up doing then is you just go, okay, well, fine. Everybody in this little church has to shun that person, but all they really have to do is go to the street, the next body, and everything's fine. With, without a centralized understanding of church authority and the, and the Catholic church, you, you have no real way to practice church discipline. There's no such thing as excommunication. And it's funny, like you hear about Protestants that they excommunicate people. A friend of mine um, just got excommunicated from his church, him and his wife. <clears throat> and they're, they still go to church every single Sunday. Just they went to a different one. Yeah. But yet supposedly execute, excommunicated from that church. Now, what does that mean? Well, according to that church, they've been excommunicated from church. Well, from that church, you think that's what Jesus really meant? So apart from apart from a unified situation like Catholicism, you know, you really don't have any way to understand or apply church discipline. It just completely lacks any any teeth because all you got to do is just go down to the next church down the street and it's a brand new slate, yeah. you know, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's so funny because for me that was honestly it, that was a huge issue for me, a huge concern for me because I was I quite literally reading my Bible and encounter Matthew eighteen where it talks about this idea of church discipline, how to deal with you know those in the church who have, who have sinned, and I remember bringing this to my non-denominational pastor of my church at the time and being like, "Hey, pastor, like, what does this mean? Because like you say, Keith, if me and you have a dispute, we bring it to the pastor. He says, "No, Keith, you're wrong. This Keith is right." <laughs> That'd be a confusing conversation, actually. Oh, no, Keith, you're wrong. Keith is, Keith is right. You're wrong, Keith. Uh, you know, I could, I, I said to him, I, I could I could lead this church and go down the street to the different church that believes I am right and be part of that church. And I said to him, well, how can I ever be, how can what Christ says in this verse ever be fulfilled in in Christianity? Because there's no one church, right? And he said, oh, right. He, he kind of shrugged it off and kind of went, well, I, yeah, I, I don't really know. I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't think it's really important, though. And I left kind of feeling dissatisfied with that, with that answer because for me it was, it was like, well, we can't, we can't do this thing that Jesus told us to do. We just we can't do it because if we just disagree, I can go down the street to a different church that agrees with me and I can, I can be fine. Like, how do we ever fulfill these words of Scripture? And that, for me, again, was a catalyst to just start thinking about, well, where is this one church that has the ability to say you're in or you're out and, and it be definitive, right? That for me, that was, you know, this, That's huge. this was an issue for me. This was a huge issue for me, right? Yeah. I mean, and again, at the end of the day, what I think this all boils down to, and I have one more I'll share with you yeah. that is a little different from this one. But at the end of the day, I think everything we've said to this point has to boils down to the whole issue of authority. Yeah. And did Jesus... Did Jesus make provision for his authority that he had? Because everybody would argue that Jesus, of course, gets to decide who's in, who's out, what's right, what's wrong, what's Christianity, what's not. Right? I think scripturally you could argue he told the disciples, whoever hears you, hear me. Okay? So you could say, well, okay, the apostles had that. But if we say it stops right there, then there is really no authority beyond that for any of us that can make one person be more right than any other. And I think that's ultimately the biggest problem And all the most other problems, I think stem from that problem um, in Protestantism is it, at the end of the day, it boils down to nobody has the definitive answer on what Christianity is or teaches. Yeah. And that's a pretty stinking big problem. I think. 
<laughs> yeah, I think so, right? Because you come back to, and I, I can remember when I, again, my, my early years as a blogger, one of the first things I wrote was this blog post that was titled like, the, you know, is Christianity a system designed to fail? Because I was looking at this going, well, how can this be what Christ intended? You know, me looking at my Bible and trying to, with the help of others and in community uh, in most cases, and reading good theologians and, and, and so on and so forth, how can I ever know that I've come to the right conclusion and, and me say that I am more right than you are? How can I ever really know that? That's a major issue of authority. And that for me seemed like something was broken because how could I ever make that claim when there are so many other competing claims that say the same thing that are also made by holy people, holier than I am, who've read their Bible more than I have, who have studied more than I have. But there are people who are equally holy as they are making opposing claims, right? I, I, that for me was a, a huge problem. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. I got one more. You want to hear it? Yeah. It's, uh, this one's a little bit different. This is one I, I never would have thought of before, but I think about a lot now. And is that when you're a Protestant, you really have to deny the value of the saints of the church. Okay. Now when you're a project, you don't really know a lot about them. Okay. You might've studied Augustine a little bit, you know, a little bit about who St. Thomas Aquinas was. You probably know who St. Francis is because it's like a bird on his shoulder or whatever, you know, (laughs) you you have, you know, who St. Patrick is because you get to drink on, you know, on, on this day where everybody wears green. So you sort of know these people are kind of, but in Protestantism, you have to like really be careful about getting deep into the saints because they're going to say some stuff that really jacks with your situation. And so what a lot of times they just do is they just completely ignore them. And you have this gap from, you know, the apostle John up until like, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin or whatever, John Wesley, some of these, you know, George Whitfield, some of these, you know, relatively recent people in history and, you know, 500 years or whatever, but you have this huge gap of time of all these amazing people, these amazing theologians, these amazing holy men and women of God that you just sort of have to not learn about and not pay too much attention to. You, can, you know, some of them will pull little nuggets out and little quotes and sayings, but they're really almost treated the same way that you treat a fortune cookie, you know? You just find a little thing that makes a little bit of sense and go, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> cool, who said that? Oh, uh, you know... St. Teresa of Avila, we can study her in, in, in Protestant seminary, but not too much. You know, this really hit me when I remember reading Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. And I wrote an article about it when I was a when I was in the Methodist church. And what I realized was we didn't have all of it. Like the last chapters that talk about the Eucharist, we couldn't, we, we didn't talk about that part of it, you know? And it's like there's so much that you miss out on. And it's kind of like you are a child that discovers they've been adopted when you're like 60 years old and you've grown up an only child and you just learned that you were adopted into a different family and that you actually have like a dozen brothers and sisters that you never knew existed, that you're part of who they are, but you've, you've been shielded from that information your whole life. You didn't know about it. And that's kind of what it's like. I think sometimes Protestantism is there's this whole incredible treasure of saint, treasure of saints that you just have to not learn about and not appreciate. And if you learn about him, it's sort of like in an academic way, you know. Well, there was this guy 
ironist that he combated heresies in the church. Well, what were those heresies? We can't talk about that. You know, <laughs> we can't talk about what these guys actually did. We just thought they were there. And I think, I think that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I hadn't thought of you. That's a, that's a fantastic, that's a great thought of. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point and a, and a huge problem. I'm thinking of two things here. The first thing is my friend Rod Bennett, who has been on the show that talked about this idea that, you know, as a Protestant, you can read you can read some of these these saints and what their lives, but you can't read all of them. You can't read all, but like you say, Thomas the Kempis, like you, you miss a whole a whole section, right? You can read Augustine on 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 scripture and on certain certain things that you can affirm, like yeah, yeah, Augustine's good on this, but read him on the Eucharist and you realize that what you believe as a Protestant Christian is totally different than what he writes about as you know, as this saint. So you can kind of you can kind of read parts of the saints, but you can't read all of them because they say things that don't jive with you as 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 a Protestant Christian, right? They they say very Catholic things. And the other thing I think if you mentioned like Irenaeus, I mean you think of some of these people that defined early Christianity or that were, were, were there as the Bible was being put together and, and we're making decisions on what goes into the Bible that we, we read as Protestants. And the, these guys who were taking part in those, in those debates and those discussions and those, that kind of collecting, that discerning the, the canon of the Bible, those guys said a lot of things that sounded great, but again, a lot of things that were really Catholic, right? And these are the guys that defined the, the, the Bible for us in many cases, had some really Catholic ideas that you, you just, just can't deny, right? So, right, I... Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't expose yourself to that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, then, and then there are some that really don't have much of an existence outside of Catholicism. They just are like, I don't know anything about that. I mean, you don't hear any Protestants talk about St. Faustina. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just like, who? You know, or or, you know... St. Ignatius of, of the Oli. They might, oh, we got some, some little spiritual practices here, you know, or some of these great saints that, you know, medieval saints, you know, you've got some of these people that, you know, Louis de Montfort, you know, you want to talk about, about a saint that Protestants have no idea who he is, but when you read him, you're just like, holy mackerel, this guy was incredible. You know, even Maximilian Colby, you know, you look at some of the, the recent people, you, you pretty much have to ignore an entire huge group of amazing Christians because they're going to mess with you big time. And what do you do with that? What do you say about it? Yeah. Oh, well, they're heretics. They don't understand. They don't understand Christianity, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you've, you've, you've lost that whole treasury of those saints, those examples of holy people that you can follow and read about and read the, the things they did. Right. And yeah. And, and, and like you, you say, how do you deny that you see the holiness of some of these saints who defined or defied secular authorities and died these incredible deaths defending the faith? And they go, oh, but they were wrong, though. They must have been wrong because they were, they were, they were yeah, Catholic, they were, right? They were wrong. Like, that's that's St. Ignatius of Antioch, man. That guy was amazing, but, man, he was pretty off base. That's a bold claim to you make, know? right? Like, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Now people go, oh, Keith, yeah, well, you know, you, sometimes the church father said – said things that they disagreed with and they, you know, whatever this and whatever that. Okay. Well, here's the deal. How, how, without a, without a church, how are we to know where they were right and where they were wrong? And of course I believe that they were probably more heck of a little more right than they were wrong, but they're figuring this out. Right. And then you, but you have a church over the top of this that gets to sort of say, okay, here you're a little bit off, you know, Augustine, or here you're a little bit off 
Aquinas or whatever and say, look, these are the things with, if you don't have that, then what you have to do is pretty much accept everything or reject everything. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times it's just turned into, well, we reject everything. We, th- those guys can't be right because they you know, had some wacky views about the Virgin Mary. So, you know, we're not going to listen to anything they had to say. <laughs> and I just feel like, okay, that's a problem. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a tough thing, I think. Yeah. You know, I know, and I know that there are a lot of Protestants out there who are, you know, it's kind of funny because like some more of them, like, you know, there are Protestants out there that love some of the saints, you know, they, study these guys. I mean, I remember when I, you know, I went to Protestant seminary and we studied, you know, some Catholic thinkers, you know, we watched the movie about St. Teresa of Lisieux and, and things like that. And there were people that were into like Thomas Merton and I know he's not a saint, but like Catholic thinkers of this and that, whatever, you know, there are some people that will do that, but not from a, not, they kind of look at them from an outside perspective, like, Oh, well that's interesting studying these people. They don't look at them and go, Hey, I want to learn from their theology. You know, it was more like, oh, well, this was a snapshot person in history who did some interesting things, but not, well, their views about the church should matter to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you begin to look deeper at many of those saints, you begin to get uncomfortable, right? As you uncover things they said or did that were that were not palatable for the, the, the you know, the, the Protestant mindset, I think in many cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Keith, this is... Been I'll awesome. probably think of more. Yeah, there's. I'm sure there there are a lot of more. A lot, a lot of more. If that's not an expression, I'm sure there are a lot, a lot more. Of, there's a lot of <laughs> to unpack here. We could go on for, for hours. How much more? None more. None more. A lot of more. I, and I'm going again. I'm going to have you back on to give the the opposite. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna just gonna really trash on some some Catholic ideas. Oh, so I'm gonna make a lot of friends that day. I can yeah. tell you that right now. Yeah. There'll be a lot yeah. of like, oh, who's that? Guy? Let's, who's that Keith guy? That yeah. other Keith guy? Yeah. Let's burn. Let's, let's burn both bridges. But I think well, I think everybody mad Yeah, I think so. There's a lot to say though. I think on both. Um, you know, on that side. So now, now we're Catholic. There, there are problems here too, right? And and how do we wrestle with these things too? Um, not not becoming Protestant again. I don't think is the answer for either of us. And this will be so interesting because this will be interesting because nobody in the Catholic world talks about any problems in the yeah, church. No, like, no nobody's no. wanting to do that. It'll be hard to find right. the problems too. I think because they're it'll be hard to find them. Yeah, there's nobody. There's nobody that makes podcasts no, that talk about that. No, they're all everyone's perfect over here. Now that we're Catholic, yeah. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Keith, I want you to tell me where to go to find, uh, well, not me because yes. I know, but uh, tell some our listeners where to go to find more stuff. Because again, of course, this is something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, uh, the, the conversion process yes. and, and how to answer some of these questions about the Catholic faith that, of course, when you encounter these problems, well, then here are some, maybe some answers that we both share on our different social platforms. Sure. Where can they go to, to see more, to read more? What do you want to point them towards, sir? So if you find, so I'm most active on YouTube. So if you just type in Keith Nestor, you'll find me there. But I also have another YouTube channel. We do a daily rosary. It's called the Rosary Crew. Been doing it for over two years now. And there's a YouTube channel called Rosary Crew with Keith Nestor. And we pray the rosary on that channel live every day at 5 Central, 5 p.m. Central. And that that ministry has become a huge part of my life. So I'd love for your listeners to, to come to that. So just Rosary Crew with Keith Nestor on YouTube, and you can find that. Um, I also have a ministry called Down to Earth. And so I have a website, downtoearthministry.org, and the two, the number two. So down the number two, earthministry.org. A podcast called Catholic Feedback. That is a monthly podcast where I talk about different topics related to Catholic faith and interview guests and stuff. And then I'm starting a brand new podcast 
based on something I've been doing for a while now called Unpacking the Mass, where every week I walk through the week's readings for the upcoming Mass, and I kind of do like a little Bible study through the readings. It's about a half an hour long, so it's not designed to be an exhaustive thing, but what it is designed to do to get your ears and hearts ready to go to Mass. It's not designed to take the place of your priest's homily, um, cause it's not really set up like a homily It's more like, we're going to read the text. And then I'm going to talk about a couple key points out of that, that I think you should be thinking about when you go to mass on Sunday. So that when you walk in, you have ears to hear and a heart ready to receive. So that's found. It's called unpacking the mass. That's on my YouTube channel, the Keith Nestor YouTube channel. And it's also everywhere. Podcasts are found too. I'm super excited about that. So I want you guys to make sure you check that out. Then I also have my book, the converts guide to Roman Catholicism, your first year in the church. You can get that on Amazon or you can get my website and uh, appreciate that. (laughs) Fantastic book. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, Keith Nestor Catholic. I'm on Twitter. Um, I have a weird Twitter name. It's Keith Nestor one because I can't get into my old account, which is just Keith Nestor. So I had to make a new one when I became Catholic because I, I got rid of Twitter and I can't get back in. So it's just Keith Nestor one. I'm not very active on Twitter, but, um, and then Facebook, Keith Nestor Catholic speaker. So I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of different places. That's fantastic stuff, Keith. And I got to say, like, you know, when I first found you on, on YouTube, I thought this guy's a great preacher because you, you speak from your heart. You obviously, you know, you've got a gift for, for preaching, I think. And when you began doing Thanks, these bro. unpacking the mass videos, I thought, okay, this is it. Here's kind of Keith Nestor. Now you say it's on a homily and that's fine. You can say that. But I watched that and I go, here's Keith Nestor. Here's him. Here's, 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 here's Nestor preaching. That's what it feels like to me. And that, I love that's it. That's what it is. I, I love mean, it. Really, I love it. It's, it's, it scratches that itch that I have that, you know, I'm not, so I'm not a preacher anymore in the church. <laughs> um, and I do travel around and give talks. I love doing that. Um, but this, I treat that literally, I don't treat it like, okay, this is a Catholic thing that I'm going to do. I, I would, I approach the same way that I would have approached, you know, I'm a Protestant and the week's readings that I'm going to walk through a sermon are X, Y, Z. That's kind of the same way. Now, a lot of times I wouldn't have put certain readings together, but the church has wisdom there that I lack. So a lot of times I'll look at these readings and I won't even understand how they connect. But when I, when I get in the middle of it, I go, oh, that's brilliant. But yeah, I mean, that's basically what we do. And I've heard from so many people who tell me, they're like, oh, this has made going to mass yeah. either so much better because now I walk in or they've, or they've said it's made it worse because they're like, man, my priest doesn't, doesn't <laughs> talk about the readings. And I wish he did. So I'm like, look, that's between you and him. But <laughs> but um, I think that the church has given us the, the, the readings yeah. for a reason. It takes us on this incredible journey through the scripture. And it's amazing to me how if we don't think about it ahead of time, we can just miss it, you know, or if for whatever reason, our priest doesn't even talk about the readings because sometimes they don't, then this still gives you an opportunity to be on the same page as the church and be thinking about these things that the church has decided are important for us as we walk through the liturgical calendar. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I hope your listeners will, will at least check it out. You may hate the way I talk. That's fine. You may think it sounds goofy. That's cool. I think Bishop Barron does one too, and there's a bunch of other people doing them. But this is just something I wanted to do, and um, I, I'm I'm excited about it. That's fantastic stuff. Keith Nestor making the mass better and worse, depending on the the homily ah, that you hear after. Depending on who. <laughs> I love that, Mister Nestor. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll have you back in a, in a while for part two, uh, where we just lose all our friends. 
That'll be fun. I want to say God bless you and the in your ministry. Uh, thank you for responding to the call of the Holy Spirit in your life, Keith, to become Catholic and to carry on what you're doing here because you're blessing thousands and tens of thousands and and I don't know, maybe maybe millions with your work. So, Dude, thanks so no, much, brother. I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. You were actually the first person to ever reach out to me that I didn't know. And yes. say, hey, I'd love yeah. to talk with you about your conversion story, man. You were the very first one. I remember like, whoa, this is a thing. <laughs> and that was that was an awesome thing. So I love I love you. I love your podcast. I listen to it. Your podcast is called my driving podcast when I go on trips. All I, I just go, okay, which I'm gonna get caught up on the cordial Catholic because it's always awesome. Better than your napping podcast. I appreciate that, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Right on. Stuff to fall asleep to. Uh thank you, Keith. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Take care. Absolutely. God bless. Well, thank you, friends, once again for listening to the Cordial Catholic Podcast. Thanks for your listening and your support week after week of this show. If you like this episode, please let me know. Reach out at cordialcatholic at gmail.com with questions or comments or feedback on this and other episodes of the show. I'd love to hear from you guys, hear where you're listening from, why you're listening, and, and how you think of the show. Your feedback helps to drive this ship, so please do reach out cordialcatholic at gmail.com. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes for this show and blog articles I am writing and have written. We're on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Catholic, on Facebook at The Cordial Catholic, and you can watch these episodes at youtube.com slash The Cordial Catholic. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please consider leaving a rating and a review if you can. Those help to push the podcast out to new people looking for this show. And please tell a friend because your word of mouth does help to spread this thing. And that's really the mission that underpins this whole thing is spreading the good news of the gospel through the Catholic Church that Christ founded and helping to undo those misconceptions and those myths and those misunderstandings. So please do tell a friend. If you want to support this show and the work of this Thing, please head over to patreon.com slash cordial catholic or paypal.me slash cordial catholic for a one-time donation those links are in the show notes as well and thank you for your support of the show thanks friends please do pray for me know that i'm praying for you too uh thanks for listening come back again next week and we'll talk to you then take care god bless and thanks so much for listening This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.